0: Hey everyone, as always, Emil here with the pre-show. And boy, do we have some big announcements. So let's get right into it. First up, the first... Part of our 2000 follower celebration is now live on Twitter. Head on over to our pinned post in our profile to see our Ask Us Anything where we will collect questions throughout the week to be answered in a separate episode of the show. We will also have announcements throughout September with other awesome stuff like giveaways. Second up, the Building panel Why Your World Matters is in fact getting a second installment Yes, you heard it right, we have gathered up another set of 5 panelists that will be joining SAGE on stream on September 25 at 3pm EST or 9pm CET for another 2 hour discussion about differences in building and advice giving. Head on over to either our twitter or Jason's twitter at jason__zollinger for more information on that. With that, I don't think there's anything else for me to tell you but to ask you to leave us a nice review or throw us a follow on social media or the podcasting platform of your choice. And with that, enjoy episode 31 of D M, where we will dive deep into our prep process and why prep is so important.
1: Hello and welcome back to Double DM Podcast, to episode 31. This time with me again is my lovely co-host Emil. Yeah, only this time. Next time I won't be here. Yeah. How are you today? I'm good. Anything
0: specific happened to you? Eh, a few things. I had my second COVID vaccine. That's good. But I had a lot of side <laughs> I had side effects. Yeah, no, I... I had a fever. I had headaches. I had a stiff arm. I was thirsty all at the time. Spent most of Tuesday only in bed.
1: Mm. And
0: yeah, after that, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> I was lucky I didn't have any of this except for the stiff arm. Public service announcement sponsored by Double DM Podcast. Wear a mask, go vaccinate yourself, do the good stuff, people. Do the good stuff. And stay safe. Stay safe, definitely. That's it yeah. for today on Double DM Podcast. <laughs> See you on the next one. <laughs> <laughs> So, I will just take this point. I I have a session tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Players are standing in a temple, in an underground temple dungeon Mm -hmm. by some sort of snake admirers or snake guards or something. And they just entered a cultist or prayer room with a big statue in the middle holding a red glowing orb. And they sometimes see red glowing ghosts circling around this orb or trying to attack them. And they have made their reservations of what is going to happen and, and what they supposed to do. What I didn't expect them was at the last session to say, hey, we're leaving now. O- okay. You go down into this dungeon for two days in game time and then you just decide to leave. to not do anything. You just leave. I mean, that's the thing, right? They They didn't make that decision yet. They just said that it is an option to go back up without doing anything, which I would find as a DM Weird, because
1: why go down here if you're not going to do anything? Yeah, definitely weird, because usually if you throw something at your players, it doesn't really matter what they want to explore it in general, most of the time. Yeah, mostly. Uh, even more so if you have red glowing ghosts swirling around red glowing orb in the middle of a dungeon of snake gods slash admirers, most players will just want to explore what the hell is going on there. Yeah, they didn't find out yet completely about this and they
0: aren't really supposed to because I always say GG RPGs about are about taking risks. If your players can always make the best calculated choice And basically, are always right with that. Then the game is not fun. They need to take some chances where they don't know what the outcome is gonna be to make the game fun. That's the fun. You you can take those risks, right? Because if I would be in that dungeon with thousands of red ghosts and a red glowing orb, I would just decide to leave again because yeah. i value my own life and i understand that the player characters do but they are also adventurers. they are he- not heroes but they are adventurers. they are the ones
1: that are supposed to take those risks yeah and one huge thing you don't have any sort of magic or anything yeah or obviously. experience with fighting magical beings and stuff yeah it's, so... it's definitely
0: different but i always think that gtabgs about are about taking risk right you need to have some sort of risk taking to be fun because dice rolls are uncertainty right you only roll dice if there is if there is failure and success involved yeah and that means taking a risk right the risk of a simple athletics check to climb a wall that's the risk if, of making and not making it but there are bigger risks of shooting that orb. what it's gonna happen we we don't know but we know that with a 75 percent chance it will be good for us eh, well then you take that risk or well you decide if you take that risk or not
1: yeah so yeah uh, i'm looking forward to that decision <laughs> Yeah, um, I like to hear about it. And regarding risks, actually, in one of my campaigns I run, I run the Rime of the Frostmaiden module. Uh Two of my players got cursed because they miscalculated the risk. They were searching a giant which had stolen some meat. So they went into his lair and found an old gravesite of an ancient tribe. They found the sarcophagus of the tribe chieftain. They made history checks and found out, yeah, this is definitely the tribe chieftain in regarding to the cave paintings and stuff or carvings, and then decided to take a look inside. They found out that there is the skeleton with some tattered ropes, as there is a thousand years after they died, but they found a wand and a pearl, like there were new objects lying in their hands and they decided to take it turns out the grave was cursed to a degree w- to everybody who takes something out of this grave will not get the benefits of a long rest when they long rest but the items itself aren't cursed so the rogue as the rogue does tried to or took one of the objects and the ranger took the uh, another object both of them can't be used by either a ranger or a rogue sad for them but both ended up basically on the artificer and now he has a one of the war mage plus one and a pearl of power but yeah the rogue and the ranger now don't get any benefits from the long rest until they remove the curse and they haven't figured out how yet so this is something interesting to see expand or unfold definitely i mean with a lot of things
0: like grave robbing for example Mm -hmm. most of the characters i play would just say no to grave robbing yep same i i I think it's a thing of while i believe the characters are different from me and i'm not saying that that i project that grave robbing is bad onto them but i just think that basically every culture yeah has something against grave robbing Yeah. So doing that is... I never
1: see a moment where where any of the characters I really play would do it. Exactly. And the problem is most of the players and player characters thought it might be cursed, but did it anyways. Wait, they they thought it would be cursed? Yeah. Probably it is cursed, right? (laughs) Let's just take it. I mean, I I talked about taking risks, but I'm not saying about (laughs)
0: taking dumb risks.
1: Yeah. Well, you know,
0: let's see how this unfolds. (laughs) Very interesting to hear about that. I... Yeah, I also had a session with my sposh-buckling rogue, Noel. We, last time I talked about this, we fled from a city mm-hmm. and we fled into the mountains. We found the castle where uh, Vivern is... Sitting atop the highest tower, which mm. is fun because he's a semi-tamed one. Okay. He he doesn't attack people. He only attacks animals. He he doesn't attack people coming to that castle except they provoke him. Which I mean, having a Viven, which is one I- I- if you follow the lore that the stat Block has, is very vile creature towards everything. Mm. It's a good guard dog. Yeah,
1: a Viven guard dog is. Something to be scared of.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. It was like, wait, my criminal organization has a wyvern guard dog. Oh my <laughs> god! <laughs> yeah, sounds fun. Yeah, and um, also cleric came because cleric, our okay. Yeah, yeah, a cleric came to us in the mountains. Our bard—it's a two-player party, right? Our bard sorcerer warlock multi-class he, he is he's is a weird multi-class whatever thing and let's just say that he has a demon inside of him a demon yeah your player character rating. or the cleric the cleric
1: okay 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 no 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 oh. no, no 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 the
0: bard player character i'm sorry I okay was mm-hmm. but the thing is i have the sword of this demon <laughs> so we both have demon things and this cleric came to us and said i can heal you from those demon things and we both were like nope (laughs) nope not because we want the demon things i I want to say noel is First of all, she hates everyone that paints the bl- world black and white, which this cleric did in the first five seconds he came. You have darkness in yourself. I am the light. I can purge that darkness. No, I was like, nope, I don't believe you anymore already. Yeah. The thing is, though, that the demon inside our, our bard said to him, a liar will come. Do not believe him. And now the question is: Do we believe our demon that that's own intention is at least to keep the the bard alive, so she can take over the world at some point? Mm-hmm. Is to at least believe this, believe the demon that says the cleric that is going to come is a liar to you, and and is not speaking truth, or do we believe the cleric that, out of his point of view, probably speaks the truth? So
1: yeah, th- th-
0: interesting. Who do you believe in this instance? No- Noelle made her mind clear. I don't believe anyone but myself. Because I'm a broody, edgy rogue. Yeah, yeah. No, but good. generally Noelle has no no interest in helping anyone that says I am the light. I am the one that's against the darkness. Because Noelle has a twisted worldview. No- First of all, Noelle only sees the world as gray. Everyone is bad. Everyone is good. But yeah. the thing with Noelle is she doesn't see herself as good. She might act good, but she's evil in her sense. He- she's a monster. And someone tells Telling her that they can destroy monsters for her just means I am better than you. And for a fact she knows that most of the people that say that are just as bad as she is Mm. making assumptions about someone else saying someone is bad because they believe in something different that is something noelle goes quite hard against so this cleric had like noelle asked the cleric to prove that he is a good one and a lot of the times noelle does this is prove it to me is her exactly knowing that there is no way for this person to prove it to her she just wants to know how powerful they are Mm -hmm. that that is noelle like she said okay prove to me that she you are actually a cleric of a goddess of light. So what the character did is cast zone of truth. Noel steps in and I f and I, I pass the charisma saving throw. I can still lie. And-, and and Noel is like, well, this doesn't prove anything. Just waved your hands around and the magic effect appeared. There's nothing magical about this. There's nothing powerful. He then said, I can ask my goddess a question for you. I asked the question as Noel. I got an answer. And while I, as the player, totally understand and would accept that offer, Noel didn't even care. For Noel, that wasn't enough, right? This dude had no way of convincing noel that he's good through magical powers or godly powers but rather only through saying that he wasn't right to say that he is the light and noel holds a darkness in her hands with the sword because that is basically a deal breaker for noel someone painting the world black and white at that point he already lost any conversation he he would have had with noel there mm-hmm. wouldn't have been any way for him to to get what he wanted out of her without having to fight her yeah noel this fun. <laughs>
1: yeah that well, is a lot I of figured. fun
0: because i get to point so many middle fingers at npcs but in a way that it isn't toxic to the game
1: mm-hmm.
0: noel still has a lot of stuff to work with for my dm and a lot of npcs to work with but if there comes a cleric around and he says i am the light you have a darkness she's basically nope fuck you i'm out of here yeah
1: and you better be as well or else mm-hmm. sounds like a fun one it is a fun one
0: i put a lot of effort into my characters Hmm. when i get to play them for campaigns because i don't get to play them often for campaigns
1: i heard about it
0: (laughs) We, we have to change that at some point every dm needs to play yeah Every player needs to DM. Exactly. We talked about this in episode 23 already, but I would like to bring it up again. We we said everybody preps, everybody improvs, everyone has their own balance to the two. And it is important, everyone has their own balance of the two. Do you agree? Of course
1: I do. Why? Because if you would prep everything, every possible way the players could react or anything like it, you would basically write a book and then just go ahead and write a book and don't play a TTRPG. But even if you have a preface or a basic understanding of how you want to play your campaign or in which direction it should go, you already did some sort of prep in mm-hmm. what sh- way, shape or form whatever. Mm-hmm. You thought about stuff regarding your game to come Bam! you did some prep. There you yeah, go. Yeah. I would agree with that. I mean, again, the thing is I want to say this now,
0: but we will go into this a little bit later in the discussion. Again, nobody can fault you for the amount of prep or the amount of improv you do. It's your style. It's the way you want to run your game and it's important you find your own style in that and not just copy someone else. It won't work for long. So I have a question for you. Go ahead. How does the prep process look like for you?
1: Well, my prep process is basically I start to recap what happened in the last session. Mm -hmm. Okay, first write to that the recap. So you also
0: start with writing a recap or do you only recap that for yourself? Both.
1: First, I recap it for myself. Mm-hmm. And then after I've done most of my prep, I write a recap and find a conversion from that recap to my opening theme, scene, mm-hmm. statement, mm-hmm. whatever.
0: Okay, I'm I'm the same. Right after the session ends, mm-hmm. I spend the next 10 minutes recapping the session for myself and writing the recap. And then I let my prep rest for at least a day or two because yeah. that way I can think about what is going to happen next. I'm going to think about the implications, what comes from it, but I just let it sink in. That's the most important part. To not prep instantly everything, at least for me. That's the way I work. But the the recap, I do instantly.
1: That's something I have to try. Because I always wait two or three days, then I prep. And then I'll just write the recap right then and there. But I usually don't write it right after the session because it just feels too fresh to recap it right away. But I'll have to try it once. Th- that's why I do the recap right after, mm-hmm. because it's still fresh. I still have
0: all the information in my head.
1: I mean don't get me wrong. During the session and right after I'll take notes and bullet points, which I then use to recap. But I would r- rather talk with my players right after the session and recap it as a group. Oh yeah that's what we do too, but I might mm-hmm. I mean
0: as soon as I leave the voice call.
1: Ah I see. Okay. I have to try
0: that one uh, the thing about that is it's simple because it's how I start my sessions mm-hmm. my sessions start with a recap me recapping for my players what happened last time I know some people say you should let your players do this and I understand why but I did try it and my players are fucking bad at it and I don't want to train them into doing it good I just do it myself and it works yeah they did for like two months of sessions it didn't work a single time they always left stuff out that I had to put in there because it was important they never focused on important stuff we had like we had players that basically recap a session in one single sentence last time we were in water deep and that was it and we had players that r- spoke for 10 minutes of recap 10 minutes of the session a f- full recap and that's too long it never worked so I make it myself and wh- how my recap works I recap and then basically Fluently, I go over into the description of the opening scene. Mm-hmm. So, for example, my players tomorrow we'll hear something along the lines of you've went to the dungeon you've descended down into the halls you found ancient statues ancient rooms ancient tools a pool of lava a pool of acid you entered a room a strange room a statue in the middle atop a pyramid holding a red glowing orb that is where we left off last time basically now the next sentence would be and as you stand in that room with the red glowing orb you've seen the ghosts swirling around you've known that you can't open the big stone doors that lead into this room what do you do? Mm-hmm. And that way I, I recapped and also opened the session up to them. I basically write the pre-fa- the, 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 the opening of that day's session and end it always with a, with a question, what do you want to do? Or what are you doing now? Or simply asking a, a single player character, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's why I do my recaps basically instantly. So I have them instantly ready when I want to prep and I don't have to write them anymore so i can then instantly write the opening scene because that is something i separate i make the recap and then i basically add the opening later on when i prep Mm -hmm. and to add that i need to have the recap there and i do the recap instantly because it just works better because then i can still take it all in and collect it all into the best recap i can make
1: i'll definitely give it a try next time but after all of this recap and opening scene things I usually start with looking at what did happen in the session and how do I want the next session to end story-wise. I usually mm-hmm. look at the story progression. Okay. To have an opening, which leads to some sort of story progression in a forward direction.
0: I mean, the thing is that so the uh, amps only job is to keep the story from halting or at least it's one of the jobs right the biggest job is make sure everyone has fun make sure everyone is safe or feels comfortable at the table and then is also keep the story from halting right and that's what why what you said is in my opinion very true having something where you want to end is great or having at least the direction the session is supposed to go
1: exactly having a plan where you want the session to go in which direction you want so if the player's don't keep the story going you can just kick their butts in the right direction again to stop the story from halting yeah
0: yeah and you can do that in any way you want you can do that by simply nudging them having an npc give up new information that they need to go into that direction anyway but if you have the direction you want them to go i i have to say this this is not necessarily railroading this is just having a direction right if your players go a different direction and you basically force them to go a a one way that can yeah that we can talk about as railroading but generally having a direction in your head is not railroading
1: yeah or basically you don't have a specific way in your head how they should get there but you have a goal where they should end Mm -hmm. up and how they get there is basically their own again it's just this
0: thing of stop the game from halting if the players don't know what to do are just sitting there doing nothing you as the dm have to step in and move them somewhere and for that to do you need to have some way of direction some goal some point of interest for them if you don't have that prepared you would have to end the session in that moment Mm -hmm. and just say we will meet next time i will revisit this and rewrite this so you guys know what to do. If you have a plan, you know at least where to send them. And yeah, that's the important part because nobody likes a game where they sit around the table for two hours doing nothing. And as we said, the DM's job is to make sure everyone is having fun. So, yes, your job is also to ensure the game is not halting, because I have never seen a game that is halted be fun. Never. It just isn't fun sitting around a table doing nothing. Yeah. Like I said, I also prepped the opening scenes. Right? Mm. what? most of the time comes with that is a description of that scene a description of the location yeah or the npcs that are in that location so yeah i did i prep descriptions of npcs and locations and i can also tell you why i prep a lot of descriptions because i'm hella bad at improvising descriptions i can do it if i have a lot of other stuff i need to prep a lot of stuff about this npc a lot of the description about this npc so that i can then on top of that already great construct of an NPC description, can improvise it more if I need to but the clothing the the hair the body structure the way of walking all of that stuff are stuff i prep if i think it's important to describe it because for example i am bad at doing voices and accents Mm -hmm. so how i counteract that is by describing the way this npc talks before they talk like this npc he he speaks with a very low muzzled voice through his beard and then I, i i can i can do that but i am hella bad at doing it consistently for npcs yeah i and, feel and that that way that is why i prep a lot of about around npcs to make them still feel immersive and real to the players because i can't do it through voices so mm-hmm. i prep it through descriptions and that is why i do a lot of descriptions of those so yeah i prep a lot of descriptions of locations and npcs because it makes it easier for me to convey the immersion that i want to give to my players with that yeah again I have my own style of prep. Someone else might find voices and accents very easily, so you might not have to do it this way. But you have to maybe prep something else where I don't even have to prep. That—that's both of us have different styles. And the most important part is that we both agree that is fine. We can discuss our different ways, but we have different ways, and that's important.
1: Yeah. Now, what I like to prep with NPCs and locations is um, specifically environmental challenges most of the time for the locations. If if there are, are any, and not just the allies or quest givers in NPCs, but the villains, the monsters and all the things as well. if a stat block is coming up, I'm looking up the stat block. If I need some sort of motivation or tactic the villain uses, I'll prepare that all that. This is just what I usually do right after the story progression like Mm -hmm. you do with NPCs and locations. I'll do the same but on different aspects most of the time. And then I usually go into possibilities where I can weave in backstory elements for my players. Mm -hmm. I don't do this every time but if it feels natural and right I take a look at where in the session I can put it and how Mm -hmm. I can Mm-hmm. Use and then I go back to the NPCs and locations and maybe add some to that.
0: That's that's great. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really great way to to bind in the backstory because you basically have a session construct and then look How can I tie it to the players to make it even more engaging for them? And even if I don't find anything, I don't have to throw the whole session prep away because it was built on the single backstory element. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, I can can see that that's good. I, I might have
1: to do that. When you are in a backstory arc anyways, it is pretty easy to weave in backstory elements, of course. But if you finished one and are back on the main plot, then I'll start looking for opportunities where I can weave in other backstory elements as well.
0: Yeah. What I also like to do in prep is battle maps, Hmm. looking at the battlefield of a combat. And I can now tell you why. And I I think we will go into this in in our episode about combat part D, or du or whatever you... Zwei, or whatever because we need to do part 2 of that one. We have so much more to st- talk about on that one. Home advantage is what I call it. If mm-hmm. your players walk walk along a path and some bandits come out of the bushes and attack them. The bandits prepared an ambush, but that does not mean that they just used the used cover to hide. They prepared the battlefield. Mm-hmm. They might have laid traps in the bushes. So when the players walk there to hide, they might step into a bear trap. Maybe yeah, there's a pit good. somewhere. Maybe there's a, a trip wire or something. That's the thing. I, I always look at the battlefield and decide how bo- how the side that I am playing, which is the monsters or the NPCs, are gonna behave on that field. Yeah. That also means, do they know the battlefield? Like, if you enter like, that's the thing with layer actions, for example. They are the best example of this. If you enter a Black Dragon's layer, it's their home advantage. They can use extra things in that layer because that layer is specifically made for them. They prepared it. Yeah. And I think this goes even further because it's bad Bandits or Kobolds, Goblins they are great examples of enemies using things to their advantage traps hideouts ambush tactics environment itself yeah those are all things that it's important to to use the environment right yeah a tree is not only a tree the bandits maybe had an axe so maybe they they hit a tree to the point where it's nearly falling and then they hit it a few more times when something comes the way to block the path making it way harder for these people to escape and yeah. that's the thing I make sure to look at the battlefield to make it feel like it's being used because the battle map if, if you have a battle map you have a vision of the encounter you have a vision of the environment use that vision because if it's static you don't need the battle map you just need a grid yeah if you if you have a different heights someone needs to climb up there if the bandits are standing have the high ground they might make sure that nobody can get to them on the high ground maybe maybe grease the climb the walls so nobody can climb up anymore. Have have some rocks they can throw at the people climbing from with their foots or some boulders or whatever, right? And those are all things that I prep when I look at the battle map. I, I prep, looking at the battle map, how is the side that I'm portraying, which is three enemies to my players, gonna use this battlefield? If my players have home advantage, right, that means they mostly know the battle map. For example, yeah. my players have, in one of my campaigns, they have a home in Waterdeep. Mm-hmm. They have a battle map for that house. They never use it To battle anything, but it's a battle map. I gave it to them, saying, "If it ever comes to a fight, this is your home. This is your home advantage." And they now they they all know this house very well. They have a home advantage. They might even lay traps there at some point. They they can block off rooms. They they know the ins ins and outs. They may have secret passages. Right? Those are things that they they can prepare the battlefield as well. It's it's always a thing of who owns the battlefield. Yeah. The answer can also be none nobody that's also a fine
1: answer but if someone owns the battlefield they usually prepare it in some way and so you have to prepare the way they would prepare the battlefield
0: yeah and you cannot do that as improv in my opinion
1: at least i can't that's just way too hard for me as well it's coming up with a way someone prepared a battlefield right on the spot Mm. that's that's hard okay
0: so i think i should we should go to the next question i think so okay let me ask you what helps with prep
1: the first thing that comes into my mind is obviously note-taking in sessions so Mm -hmm. you can recap easier and what i use for that usually is one note because it just makes things so easy to jump from one chapter to another without losing too much time uh, filing through some sort of paper stack you have lying around
0: yeah i i have a big notebook for all my campaigns like I have a notebook that I, that I copy for every campaign and it includes things like world information mm-hmm. every player's character sheet I have there every major NPC has its own page every faction and country in the world that is important to this plot has its own page I have a, I have a growing list of stat blocks so I actually can see which monster my players have already fought because that is also something that I like to prep reoccurring enemies. We'll see you next time. Mm. but also enemies I'd never encountered and I have that list so I can see what have they fought before so I can prepare that I also have a single note, site page note page for every session starting Mm. with the recap and opening scene and then it goes into whatever I need for that sometimes it's bullet points sometimes it's tables sometimes it's battle maps with stat blocks sometimes it's just links to the NPCs they're gonna talk to and what the NPCs want and information and all that stuff it very very wildly, But what OneNote does is give me the opportunity to do it for every single type of session I run. Yeah. I can do the prep however I want because it's basically a blank slate and I can do it every time. And yet, like you said, it's so easy to basically link to another page and give you the opportunity to switch to that page very quickly for example to an NPC scroll through there and see okay this NPC has a flaw that flaw is being way too arrogant for their own good boom switch back okay and then you can go through the stuff this NPC wants has and what not all you need for the discussion you have with your players right now with that NPC but know that NPC is arrogant as fuck play him arrogant as fuck boom Yeah. simple and you can look it up every single time you need it
1: it is is awesome yeah. especially for longer campaigns where you have reoccurring npcs and reoccurring world lore or anything that is just not one time only you can mm. link to that every time you mention it in your document and just click the link bing there you go do the prep like i work
0: in it so my whole job description is be the one that does the work so no one else has to do it again anymore more or less i write algorithms i write code i write programs that are supposed to make life for someone else easier or basically take whole chunks of their job away i automate simple progresses that you have to do every time and i make sure that you only have to do it and i have to do it one time way harder than it's supposed to be but then it's for the rest of eternity way easier than it's supposed to be like this you you make the prep you prep that npc once and then you basically just link to that page and never have to prep the npc again basically just add to it very simple very
1: easy yeah and that's one reason why we usually, or why we prep in general as well. Yeah. It helps you run the game more comfortably.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. Like I said, in the beginning, everyone has their comfort zone. It's important to remember, this does not mean, however, that you should not take steps out of that comfort zone. But only, now comes the weird paradox, that if you feel comfortable
1: with taking that step. Yeah, you sometimes have to push your boundaries a bit, mm. but not, too much that it feels unnatural to you yeah yeah.
0: that's the thing right as a dm and this is why we have this podcast i always want to improve i never want to stop improving what that means however is doing stuff that i might not enjoy the first time or the second time or the third time but gradually doing it and doing it often will make sure that i'm getting good at it that i'm improving on it and that i'm at some point probably enjoying it implementing it in my style and now i have to say If you ever try something and it really does not fit you, you don't have to do it again. Just take the step back, wait for a few months and do it again if you feel like it. That's the thing. Do what you're comfortable with because that's the most important part as a GM, Your job is to make sure everyone has fun and enjoys a good story or a good game. And that includes you as the dm as well it includes you but also what it includes is you can only do that if you feel comfortable doing it yeah and that is do the prep you need because it helps you to to run the game comfortably and that is why i do prep all the prep i do is is making sure that i when it comes to the session am good running the session yeah so the job of a dm is like we said, often enough, stopping the game from grinding to a halt, right? Mm. Prep, for example, like we said, you have a goal, right? It's where the session is supposed to lead. That yeah. stops the game from grinding to a halt. Having an NPC prepared stops the game from grinding to a halt... Because you don't have to look up the NPC or make it up in your head. You can just have it. Whatever you need to stop the game from grinding to a halt and to run the game comfortably for your players
1: is the prep you need.
0: And you need to find, and now the important part is, you need to find
1: that yourself. Yeah, and you touched on one thing there quite briefly looking up an npc or making it up in your head so either you could have prepared it uh, first or have some sort of pre-written module do you think there is an, a difference between preparing your homebrew campaign and the pre-written stuff yes a lot of stuff
0: in, in, in a homebrew setting or in a homebrew campaign you write your own storyline you write your own npcs you write your own everything more or less right yeah you need to do a lot more pre-prep is what i call it you need to prep a world a storyline a campaign design and all that stuff so you can actually start making a campaign running a campaign yeah pre-written campaigns or pre-written modules take that more or less away from you but in a different way.
1: Yeah, you still have to do all the prep stuff. We are. You don't have to, but we usually do all the uh, prep stuff we discussed earlier, but in a different way when we prepare pre-written modules and our homebrew setting. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, the thing is, when you
1: have a module,
0: I, I expect a good module to basically have all the information I need to run the game. Yeah. So I need to read that. In a pre-written module, you have chapters, for example. You need to read those chapters in a homebrew setting, you would need to write that chapter, which is arguably more work, yes, but it also
1: gives you way more creative freedom, in my opinion. It is a little or a lot more flexible in many ways if you write it yourself.
0: Again, the thing is, whatever you're comfortable with, go with that. Nobody should shame you for running pre-written modules or a homebrew game. Nobody can, nobody should. Exactly. Now I want to ask you something. Okay. We talked a lot about, about prep and of improv in episode 23 which is about improv and this episode about planning and prepping. What about the quantum challenge?
1: The quantum challenge?
0: You don't know what the quantum challenge is?
1: I don't. Or at least I don't think I do.
0: Okay, let me... I I think you know the problem but not the way I describe it. Okay, Mm -hmm. let me describe it for you. If your players walk a path that can be a little path or a figurative path, right? It doesn't have to be a path Mm -hmm. they are actually walking but just the way in the story. And you have a fork, diverting path, coming up and you anticipate your players to go the right path and they go left do you move the encounter you had on path right to the left part do you have encounters prepared for both or do you just wing the left part completely
1: Hmm. first of all i wouldn't move the encounter from the right to the left path in general because no. if we talk especially if we talk about a literal path they are going i won't mm-hmm. change the locations in the world just to fit the campaign Mm -hmm. or the way the players decided to go. Mm -hmm. I usually have some sort of small idea of an encounter which I can put there on the left path. In general, I don't have an encounter in the same detail prepared. Mm -hmm. But what I do in this situation is when they get closer to that encounter, I'll stop right before that and then prepare this one instead. If Mm -hmm. it is in in the start of a session, it is a little harder to do, but... Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. winging it can sometimes be the way for me it depends on the setting for me it's very simple actually mm-hmm.
0: do whatever you want to do in that moment because yeah. that is quantum <laughs> yeah i have been asked this question several times and i always answer the same do whatever you want to do in that moment because that is how quantum physics right this is where the quantum comes from yeah just do whatever the fuck you want nobody's gonna know yeah just be like homelander <laughs> <laughs> The thing is, what, what, what I mean with that is, for example, yes, I've moved encounters from the right to the left path. I won't hide that. Yes, I've winged the left path completely. But what I say is, if you do the moving too often, it's not effective. Yeah. That, that's my opinion of it. Because there's this image, that there's this funny image of a cow standing in front of a wall there are two ways to go into that wall and there's a small part in the wall that separates the two Mm -hmm. that that part ends Right after it started, so the the cow can go left or right, but it ends always in the same way, and that's the illusion of choice, right? It's mm-hmm. the and that's what you do if your players can go left or right, and you move the encounter to whichever path they go, and that's fine. Giving your players the illusion of choice is totally fine. The thing about it is, you need to still have choices that matter. Because if all the choices they do are just an illusion, then you have failed the game. Or, well, not, right? Failing. Simple, in my opinion, not giving your players a choice is taking away or their agency, if they don't have a choice. And then you can write the book. Then you prep everything, right? But what I will say is, now now comes the thing why the quantum challenge, for example, is always such a fun thing to talk about, in my opinion. The thing is, if people... I I can totally... I, I have moved, right? Like I said, I have moved from right to the left path and if people say well that's just an illusion of choice then i answer well i would have made it even simpler i wouldn't have included the left path if i really just want them to go to this encounter Why would I have a diverging path? Why would I throw in an illusion of choice if I have the option to to not do it? Like, what do I get from throwing in an illusion of choice? Nothing. I gain virtually nothing, in my opinion. The thing is, I still do it, but only when I feel it appropriate. But a lot of people argue that you put a path left or right because it would make sense in this world. And I'm like, no, I am the dungeon master. It now doesn't make sense anymore. There's a big mountain in the middle. You have to go the right path and need to take way around this mountain to go left where you want to go. Boom, the players are we- again on the right path. Haha! Uh-huh. And <laughs> Right? Th- that's yeah. the thing. I-, I don't understand why people, like, again... It's totally fine to move that encounter if you think that having the left path or the right path leads to two different ways. And moving a combat encounter, for example, or a single story encounter from right to left is okay. But the path choice should still matter in some way.
1: Definitely. And if you say it um, in a, or if you use it in a literal way using the left or the right path, they can still lead to the same location but through different means. There can be another story point in there as well. You can explore different story points along the way while going to the same location. Uh Yeah,
0: that's basically it for me. I, I just hate people. Like again, I can only say this often enough, moving that encounter is fine. But saying that's just an illusion of choice and therefore not good is wrong. Because if it would be an illusion of choice, I wouldn't have included the left path. But I believe that moving a story encounter from the right to the left path that is story important, while the the choice of going left still changes the story but they will still get the information on the left path then it's fine then then yes move it all the time but not do not move it and basically have the choice not matter yeah the choice doesn't have to matter for the literal thing you have for 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 the encounter you move that doesn't have to matter right but it should have some impact later on definitely they they go to a different town the town is different from the one they would have met at the right path maybe in the left town they will just find out find a new ally that they wouldn't have found in the right town and in the left town they will get the information that well their target was the right town and now they they have made an impactful choice While you still move the encounter to the left path yep. that's not an illusion of choice anymore and that's the thing if, if, if it really becomes an illusion of choice, if, if I realize that me having divergent path is just an illusion of choice and really just that, I don't include it. If I have included this and I move an encounter and you like, right? If I move an encounter, there will still be a matter to the choice because that's important.
1: Definitely. So
0: yeah, that was hard to explain. <laughs> yeah quantum quantum shit is always hard quantum to shit okay to summarize what we just did in this episode is do whatever level of prep you are comfortable with because this is about you prep is not a dick measuring contest, also not a race. Prep is for you and you alone. You can't do someone else's prep and no one can do yours for you. Find out what you need to prep to run comfortably and you have found your prep level. Prep is supposed to make you feel comfortable and give you the ability to stop the game from holding. If you, ha- however, run into something you didn't prep, that's fine. Just stay calm about it and do whatever you feel in the moment is the best course of action.
1: Yeah, plus one to that. Plus one. Okay. So uh this is the end of our episode. You should follow us on Twitter, Instagram, at Double DM Pod. We also have a Discord server, which you are welcome to join anytime. The link is in our link tree, which is in the pin post on our Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, then that's basically it. Thank you guys yeah. for listening. See you on the next one and bye bye.